This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 23rd of November. So Norman, when we farewelled our Coronacast audience at the end of last week, we were really not sure what we were going to be seeing in South Australia at the start of this new week, but... It's been a kind of happy U-turn over the weekend, although a very weird one. Yeah, well, they made an error. And let's just get this into perspective. I mean, a lot of people are angry about the way the Premier dealt with the person who was untruthful about the situation at the pizza parlour. However, they did what you should do, is that when you're in doubt, you go to a full lockdown. You just don't mess around when you're not sure what's going on and beg for forgiveness later. It's better begging for forgiveness than you let a second wave occur in South Australia. So what the way it looks at the moment is that the cluster looks as though it's under control and they're able to relax restrictions. You know, what they thought was the case was not the case. Yet red faces, but what the heck? They've they they did the right thing. Oh, it's a good it's a good outcome really. It would be much worse if there was coronavirus running rampant in South Australia. And one of the things that we were hearing last week was this idea that it was a a special strain of virus that perhaps had a shorter incubation period or was more easily transmitted. But that really doesn't seem to be the case now, does it? No, and we on Coronacast never thought it would turn out to be another strain. It was a phenomenon of the cluster and what they thought from the cluster, given that they had an erroneous view of how the cluster was spreading. They thought it was surface spread highly unlikely that you get a very big breakout from surface spread, not impossible, but they were looking at a spread that was incredibly fast. And the Crossroads Motel outbreak back in July, the New South Wales government thought exactly the same thing and were warning that this seemed to have a short incubation period. But then as the cluster developed, they realised that they they were dealing with probably what was a normal incubation period. It was just that when you get a big spreading event, it looks very fast and it looks very scary. That's right. They really came down with that real hard hammer at the beginning saying we're going to have a big six-day lockdown. But it, even though it wasn't the, the fact that the virus was weird or anything different, one of the things they were saying about that six-day lockdown was that it was meant to be a circuit breaker so that they could get on top of contact tracing. And in that sense, that's exactly what they did do. Yeah. And next time there's an outbreak in South Australia, they'll be a bit more measured, but the contact tracing will be able to get on top of it. And as they have, I mean, they got on top of it very quickly. So it was a pretty impressive contact tracing effort. It was just slightly uh, misguided because they had the wrong view through no fault of anybody in the authorities. That's right. You're dealing with human beings, right? And not everyone's transparent all of the time. Yeah. And and some senior people um, in the infectious infection control expert group have been saying, well, you shouldn't have done it so quickly. You should be a bit more careful. Well, the infection control expert group was, has been against masks. If the jurisdictions have been listening to them fully, I don't think necessarily they would have got the Victorian second wave under control to the extent that they did. Okay, so we're assuming that it's a stock standard coronavirus in South Australia. It's a week since they first detected those initial cases. Are they out of the woods? How much more is likely to still be out there? They're not out of the woods because, if you remember rightly, it was circulating for at least a week before that. And if you, again, remember the... Um, 
Kirby Institute's survey of pathology samples back in April through June showed that we underdiagnosed by a factor of 3.5. So there could be missing cases out there, and there doesn't have to be very many. I suspect they've captured a huge proportion of the cases that are out there, and it's certainly not a factor of 3.5. That you know, there's not three times as many cases out there that are missing. I'd be very, very surprised given that they had 4,500 people in quarantine, nearly 5,000 people in quarantine. So I think that that's um, unlikely. But it's still out there, probably, circulating, and they've just got to keep an eye on it, they've got to do sewage testing, and just got to watch things carefully for the next, probably, uh, week to 10 days, um, so that you're going through two cycles of the virus. And to the credit of the people of South Australia, there have been huge numbers of people getting tested as well, which is going to flush out those cases wherever they are at least some of them at least. That's right. They've had testing numbers that would swamp pro rata the numbers coming forward in Victoria and New South Wales. So they've done incredibly well. Thank you, South Australians. It does raise the question about hotel quarantine though, doesn't it? And the fact that these these have been seeded out of hotel quarantine, returned people coming back to Australia, and maybe raising the question as to what better ways might there be to managing returned Australians? Well, people are talking about all sorts of things, and we've mentioned on CoronaCast before that hotels are not purpose-built for this kind of isolation, although they've done very well. We've had very few outbreaks from hotel quarantine around the country, so they're not doing too badly, but they're, they're not designed for this. The ventilation's not designed, so the fact they've had so few outbreaks is really good, but you will get them. And the risk is there. So people say, well, you should have uh, an army camp in the middle of the desert or Howard Springs, you know, should try and find more Howard Springs and put people in those. The problem here is, and I've just been, I've just got this again, and we mentioned it before on Coronacast, that if you look at the Sydney hotel quarantine, people are coming back from, Australians are coming back from overseas quite sick. Not with coronavirus, but they're coming back from medical care. They've got metastatic cancer. They've got cancer that's spread. A significant proportion of them are actually ending up in hospital in Sydney. So I don't know what's happening in Queensland and other states. But, you know, if you're stuck in the middle of the desert and you arrive and you discover somebody's got metastatic cancer, where are you going to go? You've actually got to be near fairly major care because this is not a normal, healthy group of people. These are, this is a group of people that's biased towards being sick in the first place, which is one of the reasons they want back. So what is the answer? How do we balance these competing interests? Well, you could filter them out and say, well, um, are you completely fit and well? And then you go to some sort of isolation facility that's more purpose-built. You reopen quarantine stations on the edges of our cities. You know, I don't know. The practical aspect of this is you probably shouldn't be too far away from a major hospital, uh, given the the state of people arriving back. It's not hundreds and hundreds, but it's enough to be concerned. So in happier news, let's turn to Victoria. Over the weekend, they marked, I think, 23 days of no new cases. Amazing work. Uh, And so they're preparing to reopen their borders and kind of gradually return more and more to normal life. But sewage testing is showing traces of the virus in some areas. Yes, it tends to be in more industrial areas. I think on Friday it was Altona and they're doing truck driver testing. So so there's still virus probably circulating at low levels in Victoria. It's a bit like the South Australian situation where you get a sewage test that's positive, you react to it strongly by testing and really getting out aggressively, albeit that they're not locking down. 
But in most instances, it will be, if you wanted to criticise it, an overreaction. But I would never call it an overreaction. It's, prudent, it's a prudent reaction to finding viral fragments just in case you're missing the virus. In New South Wales, sewage testing has turned out areas where you did find cases spreading. And it would not be a surprise to find that there is still some virus circulating in the community in Victoria. And of course, what they're worried also about is that truck drivers are bringing it in from South Australia and might be spreading it because you know some of these sewage drainage areas are on, on truck routes. So taking a big step back and looking at how we target this virus globally, the WHO has released more advice on remdesivir, the antiviral drug that was getting a lot of hype at the beginning of the pandemic and kind of throughout. Yes, and what they've come out with is from their solidarity trial, which was an extensive trial, randomised trial of various medications around the world. And what they've concluded when you amalgamate all the data beyond what's already been reported with remdesivir is that it's really disappointing that it uh, had no significant impact on death, length of hospital stay, which is actually the only benefit that the randomised trials showed, or indeed need for ventilation. We kind of knew that already. It costs a lot of money and uh, and there may well be side effects such as kidney damage, although that's, I think that's just in preclinical trials, not in the actual real world. So unfortunately, remdesivir does not look like a you know like much of a useful drug for COVID nineteen, and the search is still on for what would be called a broad spectrum antiviral drug, which is really what we desperately need. We need a drug that is a good basis for emerging viruses in the future. People hope that remdesivir was it. It's turned out not to be it. Probably the platform, the technology platform that is going to provide more specific treatments for future viruses or monoclonal antibodies, where if you can identify the genome of the virus, the shape of the virus, how it docks into the body, the lock and key mechanism, and then you find, you raise antibodies to that so that you target that early. A couple of companies have developed that sort of technology and that might be the way of the future rather than a specific antiviral like remdesivir. The interesting thing about remdesivir is that, for example, the United States bought, bought up big, you know, really bought stocks up. In fact, President Trump boasted that he bought up the world's stock of it. He didn't really. But that's exactly what happened in the, um, in the flu pandemic in 2009, is that countries around the world bought up stocks of an anti-flu drug called Tamiflu. And it turned out when Tamiflu was looked at beyond the randomized trials, when the raw data were looked at, and it took forever to get the raw data, Tamiflu was a very disappointing drug. And we bought a lot of it in Australia as well. So it's not the first time that an antiviral has turned out to be disappointing and not after some governments have spent a lot of money on it. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. If you've got a question or a comment, please keep them coming in and go to abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click on Ask Question and uh, mention Chronocast on the way through. And we'll see you tomorrow. We'll see you then.